what, what I like uh, with Kirchenbaum, I think, is, and I don't find it always with uh, artists these days, you can feel the development. So it's all the time moving. It's not that he, he's, he has got one style and all his life he does it. It's, it's incredible. I mean, when, when, you think, when you think about it, how a painter is really living and all the time developing. I, I love this, that when I go to a painter, you see this museum in Paris, the, 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 the big painters, they have a story. They started with one thing and little by little they moved to other things. And this is what I love in Kirchenbaum. That you can find it unfortunately died young. 54. But it's, it's an interesting story. Welcome to Warfare of Art and Law, the podcast that focuses on how justice does or doesn't play out when art and law overlap. Hi everyone. It's Stephanie, and that was Nathan Diamond discussing his great uncle, J.D. Kirschenbaum, an artist who worked before, during, and after World War II. As you will hear from Mr. Diamond in the following conversation, J.D. Kirschenbaum's work is emblematic of the many artists who, like him, represent the lost generation. Nathan Diamond, welcome to Warfare of Art and Law. Thank you very much. I have really grown to admire the art that your great uncle created during his career, J.D. Kersenbaum. Would you share a bit about how you uh, began the journey of researching and locating his artwork? Uh, what happened uh, actually is, that first of all, I met him uh, after the war when I was a kid. And we survived the Holocaust. Uh, we were in Belgium. And he was the only member of my mother's family that survived from Europe. And uh, although the family uh, in Poland uh, was destroyed, and uh, he came to us, and I met him, and he painted when he was in our home. He stayed for a few months there. So we grew up with paintings of Kirchenbaum. We left uh, after a few uh, years for Israel, where we stay now. And Kirschenbaum went back uh, to Paris. The sister of my mother was living in uh, Palestine then, came to, uh, to us, and then she went to Paris to my great uncle, and she was also near him for many, many years. And uh, when my mother and my aunt uh, died, uh, they left us with uh, the paintings, my brother and I, and uh, my aunt left uh, me the archive she had about my great uncle. And that's how I learned that he was a uh, most probably great painter. And this was uh, really the trigger to my future activities about the uh, Kirchenbaum. When you were uh, meeting him that time just after the war, I'd read that you two had gone on a walk and that he had told you that you had a proclivity for art? Is that something that made an impression on you at the time? Yes, yes. This is something that I always remembered. Unfortunately, I'm not, I'm far from being an artist, but I, I always remember that he told me, uh, Nathan, you've got something. And, uh, you know, when we got uh, all these uh, 
uh, files and documents and archives and the paintings, I said, maybe I've got something. And uh, that's when I decided really to stop working and to start a new uh, career, really, and uh, start uh, seeing what I can do about the revival of Kirchenbaum after checking at the Israeli Museum if he was really a, a great painter or uh, I liked him because he was my uncle. And when the curator of the museum, the Israeli Museum, came to my place and had a look at the painting and he told me, Nathan, don't, don't let him die. Don't, don't let him die. He's, he's too much of an important painter. And this was really the trigger. And that's how everything started. And that was nearly two decades ago, is that right? Yes, uh, nearly two decades. Um, first of all, what uh, happened also following this meeting with the curator of the Israel Museum, I met at the university in Jerusalem, uh, Professor Maslisch, that she was the, curate, the main uh, responsible for the art department. And she told me, if you decide to do something about Kirchenbaum, come back to me. She was a specialist of uh, Chagall. And I came back to her and she told me, Nathan, from now you're a student. So for two years I studied uh, art at the Israel, uh, at the Jerusalem University uh, in order to know really about the, about the backgrounds uh, of uh, the period Kirchenbaum was a painter, what helped me considerably later on in my research and uh, in what I did, really. Can you walk through a bit of the research that you did? I know what I'd read was that it involved um, finding some information on the art loss register, and then that took you to the Kandinsky Library at the Pompidou Center and and you were sort of piecing together how many works there were and how many you might be able to locate? Yes, what uh, happened actually is uh, uh, I read about uh, uh, a company in the United States that was uh, dealing with uh, painters that disappeared in their work and they, they had an office in London, I met them and uh, then I discovered that uh, 600 of his works were uh, burned during the the war, the war in Paris, in boulogne billancourt where he was living by the German. And uh, uh, I went to meet them in London, and uh, then I realized really uh, what a terrible period he had. But I got already, I, I got some information there also about who were his uh, friends and colleagues. And uh, then I asked my uh, children to help me to create a website. And we created a website about Kirchenbaum with what we had then. And all, the, all my family, they were helping my daughter, my, my wife, and my brother. And uh, with this website, uh, we started having contact with people that uh, were linked to Kirchenbaum. Because with this uh, website, uh, some uh, friends, some children of... Uh, Students of Kirchenbaum called me, and I realized also that uh, Rothschild, uh, he was uh, the teacher of 
Alex Rothschild, and Alex Rothschild in France saved him after the war. So little by little, I started gathering a lot of information, first of all, through the website, and then I organized meetings in different countries with the people that uh, contacted me. And that's uh, how everything really started moving. There were some works that Alex Rothschild had that were donated to uh, different museums as well. Is that right? Yes, that's right. You know, when uh, I started my research, I found out that uh, the Israel Museum had a great collection of Christian works that were uh, dedicated by Alex Rothschild. And then I, I went to Paris, actually, to try to find more works, and I discovered that uh, they were not in Paris, but were at the Tel Aviv Museum. And the Tel Aviv Museum, they didn't even know they had it because they were in the cellar. Huh. So when I called them, they said, we don't know anything about Kirschenbaum. And I told them, please have a look, maybe you will find something. Mm-hmm. And another, an hour later, they called me and said, please come to us urgently. We found, <laughs> we found five works in our cellar, we don't know what it is. Oh. And uh, it's absolutely incredible when you go to these cellars in these museums what uh, what you can find. Yeah. And uh, you know, little by little, uh, I, I discovered works in different museums. For example, I had uh, a person that contacted me was from Holland, uh, Lindegreen. It was he was the son of a, a student of Kirschenbaum, a painter that was uh, studying. Uh, Kirschenbaum in the 1930s and after the war also, and he uh, he, he made an exhibition and in, invited me to the exhibition. And when I went there to Holland, he told me, "Let's go to the Franz Hals Museum. They should have was from uh, Kirschenbaum." Yeah, the Franz Hals Museum is a very important uh, museum in uh, mm-hmm. in Holland. Yes. But today they show uh, only words from Franz Hals. So all the words they had they had they put also in the cellars. So when I came to them, they told me, yes, we have prepared for you something. And then they showed me some of the words and they said, thank you for coming. We didn't even re- realize that we had words from Kirchenbaum huh. in our place. So it's it's really something incredible that when you are uh, looking and working hard, you can really find things that you, you can believe that uh, they are still existing. Yeah. And I assume that uh, in Germany there, there should be some work because he left Germany, mm-hmm. uh, well, he ran away from Germany in the ni- at the beginning of the 1930s, like most of the important uh, Jewish painters or, or, or many people that were that didn't accept the, the German system, and uh, he left also most probably the uh, all the work he did. So it, it should exist somewhere. The, the the more you discuss and, and meet people, the more chances are that you'll find things. Mm. And uh, since I've started, something has, has been uh, done really. And uh, today we know, I believe, about around 200 or even a bit more of worse where they are and where they're located. And also uh, in our family, we've got a great part of the collection that is left and we've showed in the different exhibitions that I'll tell you about uh, later on. You had sent me a uh, news article that was discussing an Israeli exhibition from, was it 2013? Yes, that, 
what happened uh, then, you know, I, I, I found the works, I started going to the different museum, and uh, I went to the to one of the museums in the north of Israel, the Encharod Mishkan Museum, and the curator, she told me, we have got works and we want to make an exhibition. So I was uh, very excited about it, you know. And then just before uh, I left, she told me, Nathan, uh, you know that I need some money. Uh, I said, what do you mean you need money? She said, yes, uh, if you want to cover the expenses of the exhibition, we need money. So you'll have to bring us uh, money for it. So I was a bit surprised, you know, it was the first time I was really involved in these things. Uh, and I came back home and I said, what uh, do I reply? It's not an, an enormous amount of money, but it was sixty, seventy thousand dollars or something like this. And uh, I came back home and I said, first of all, I'll say yes, this doesn't cost money. So, and then I said yes, and then I said, well, how do I get money for this? And I went to France to different uh, institutions that are dealing with the Holocaust, and they told me we we help, but only for exhibition in France. And I told this also to to my friends, and uh, uh, when I told this to my friends, some of them told me, Nathan, we want to to help you. Don't tell anybody, and suddenly I discovered great people. And each one was, uh, was saying, don't, don't tell anybody, I want to help. And uh, my greatest uh, satisfaction was when I contacted the Rothschild. Uh, I contacted first uh, Guido Roche to try to find works, and he answered, uh, "Please contact, uh, please try to find uh, in Paris uh, through my son." And I, I started having some contacts with uh, David Roche, and one day I came to to Paris, and I said, "I'll try to leave some." Uh, some flies to Rothschild, so maybe he'll contact me because I don't succeed to get in touch with him. And I and now after leaving the, the flies, he called me and he said, Nathan, uh, you know that uh, uh, Kirschenbaum was a teacher of my mother. He was, we called him at home, Kirschy, and he started to say, come and, and meet me. And I told him, uh, I'm sorry, I'm going back to Israel, but next time I'll come to see you. And I came back to Israel, I called him from Israel, and, and we had a, a great meeting. And uh, at the meeting, I said, uh, I, I told him, uh, I'm making, it was great, really, he told me about Kirschenbaum, and it was very, very nice. And I told him, I'm going to make an exhibition, and I would like to make it uh, on the name of your mother, because she really saved him. He was uh, desperate after the war. And he said, uh, of course, please do it. It's a great for, for me. You have my agreement. And I said, I'm, I'm preparing a book also. Would, could you please uh, write some introduction about what your mother did about it? With great pleasure. And then, uh, you know, we had a nice, very nice talk. And he told me, go on keeping in touch with me. But I didn't ask for money. I said, I don't, you don't go to Rothschild for $20,000, $50,000. You want millions to go to Rothschild, but not, not for a small amount of money. It's ridiculous. So a small amount for Rothschild. It was a big amount for me. And, uh, but he, he went out with me and he comes with me in the, in the lift. And I was surprised that he doesn't, doesn't say goodbye uh, in his office. It was at the top floor. 
And then when we reached the, the door outside, he told me, Nathan, you sat with me for two hours. Oh, you managing with money. And I told him, uh, I didn't come to you uh, to, to get money, but uh, I've got problems. And he said, Nathan, I'm going to send something, not a big amount, but from my own pocket, not from the, uh, the groups I'm involved in, to the Encharod Museum. And tell people that we are involved and we support this project. And this helped me really considerably. So, you know, the, the fact that you discovered great and positive people was something, uh, it was something great for, for me and uh, helped me considerably in my uh, feeling for making and going on in my research. Yes, uh, this is really the, the beginning. And uh, what happened that together with this, you uh, started working on a book. My brother was helping me with the photos that we found and with the archives. And uh, we had a bit uh, something similar with some uh, uh, edition companies in, in Paris that uh, all of them were very excited when I presented the, the program and what uh, what we did and the research. And uh, again, I had to find uh, the financing for it because everybody was was very excited, but what uh, wanted also some help, and we we succeeded to to do it. And together with the exhibition, we we published a, a very nice book. I don't know if you had the opportunity to see it. I've actually ordered the book online, and I'm still waiting for it to arrive. I'm very excited. I was hoping to to see it before I talked to you, but I haven't yet. But the, the book is is at a very nice level. You know what what I'm trying to do is uh, not to downgrade. Uh, this this painter, I think he's a great painter and whatever we do, we try to do at the, the right level. And uh, I think that's why following this first exhibition, there was a second one in Tel Aviv and uh, Beta Futsot, uh, which is one of the important museums in, in Tel Aviv, the Jewish Museum. And then uh, we had exhibition in different countries in Europe. One of those was in Croatia, is that right? Yes. What what happened? We had an, we had first an exhibition in in Paris. It was supposed to be at the, at one of the museums called the Montparnasse Museum, and uh, I discovered some something there. And together with the Pompidou Museum, we they decided to make an exhibition. And then for some reasons, unfortunately, they, they closed it. And uh, some uh, half a year later, they called me and they said, we cannot make an exhibition only for Kirchenbaum, but, but we want to have a first exhibition that will include uh, his work. So we had the first exhibition in, in Paris. It was uh, a mixed exhibition with other uh, artists, uh, artists French, uh, French artists also. And then uh, following uh, my talks and my meetings, uh, I started uh, having contacts in uh, in Germany, and as I told you, with uh, somebody in Holland. And this guy in Holland, he uh, is the son, son of a painter that uh, studied education uh, with his teacher, and uh, he, he got married to uh, a Croatian woman. And his son is also a painter, so they had an exhibition for uh, 
for his father in Croatia. And at the exhibition, he said, I would like to bring also some painting of uh, Kirchenbaum. That was the teacher of my father. His name was uh, Lindegrin. So they told him, uh, look, uh, your, your father is a painter, but Kirchenbaum is a great painter. We, we, should mi- we should mix, we should have a special exhibition for him. And that's how the exhibition in Croatia, uh, all the negotiations started. And then they, they, we went to meet them, and then they came to see us, and they chose the works uh, in Israel. And uh, together with them, the, the museum in, uh, in Solingen, the Museum of Persecuted Art, but also interested in the subject. So then we arranged for uh, works, mainly from our private collection, uh, to be shipped to Croatia and then to Germany. Unfortunately, at the exhibition in Germany, they had no, no money for, they prepared the catalog and then they didn't get enough money for uh, publishing it. And, uh, but the exhibition was uh, very nice. And now we go on having ne- negotiations with uh, museums in, uh, in Germany, but because of what's going on with the, with the, Situation in the world today, everything is uh, is stuck. So uh, we have negotiation. I don't know what will happen. Meanwhile, the next one is supposed to be in Paris. They are building there a new uh, a new center, a new Jewish center in Boulogne Billancourt. Uh, Boulogne Billancourt, you have a museum which is called the, the Museum of the Thirties. So they want, the idea was to make uh, two exhibitions, one in the museum of the uh, of the 30s and one in this new building uh, that is uh, being uh, in construction now. But I don't know exactly when it will be ready, when it will be finished. You know, the, the situation in the world is a bit, uh, is not clear. What would you say are, are a few of the pieces that really speak to you from the works that your great uncle did? Yes, you know, we have um, some paintings uh, that are very special um, about uh, the way Kirsten Boom looked at the Messiah. For him, the, the Messiah was, uh, he, he believed it's a bit like a, um, and uh, Ensor, the, the painter Ensor, he painted Jesus going to the to the church in Brussels. Okay, not Jesus uh, going to Jerusalem, but going to the people, to his people. And Kirchenbaum is the same. He's painting uh, the Messiah, not coming to Jerusalem, but coming to the village. And I think this is. Uh, this is something uh, beautiful, and uh, I believe that these, uh, we have got some of these paintings, and I know there is uh, people that see them, they are excited. You know, you have also some very nice paintings at the Tel Aviv Museum with uh, the prophets, which are very nice. And then, uh, unfortunately, the paintings, the when he wanted to, the one that you've got on the on the book of Kirchenbaum, uh, when uh, he he's trying in a certain way to say let's integrate, 
you know which painting I'm speaking about. It's a, it's, a, it's a kind of portrait, that, which is on the on, on the book. Of uh, self-portrait with cubism? That, that's right. Then, yes. Unfortunately, we don't have more from this period, because mm. what was in Germany disappeared. And what I believe also is uh, quite uh, fascinating is uh, um, the caricatures. Mm -hmm. that, uh, that, that belong to a period that uh, in Germany they were criticizing it was after the, the the First World War and there was a lot of criticism of the society and he was then one of the important caricaturists in Germany so, so I think he's got different periods and in each one we can find some very special and very uh, Uh, very nice work that are uh, representing a period. And uh, what was great with Kirschenbaum is that it's, it's not that he, he didn't move alone. He started with Expressionism, he moved to Impressionism, he moved then to uh, to modern art. And this, this, is, uh, this is great when you... Many times I go to exhibitions now, And I have the impression that the painter is stuck in one period. Mm. And with him, we had always the feeling that he always developed, you know, always looking for something new. And, and this is great. This is yeah. what I love and I think what is important. If one day we succeed to bring him back to, to a museum, we have some negotiations regarding the archives uh, that will be... Uh, given to the Pompidou Museum, to the Kandinsky Library, mm. where they found uh, many photos of uh, Kirschenbaum uh, works also. And for the works that uh, have been destroyed, uh, the heart of that, I think, and would you agree, was that the Nazis labeled him and his work as degenerate? I, I, I don't know. You know what? What we know is that uh, the German, uh, when they were in uh, different countries, uh, if it was from museum, they stole them. If if it was from private uh, stu studios or from private houses, they didn't they didn't care about it, but and they burned it. So you you have this uh, this difference. If it his works were not. Most of his works in Paris were in his studio, and for some reason they they reached his studio and threw all the, all his work in the streets and they burnt it in the street, which is incredible and very sad. Yeah, and he had work in he had to leave work, I believe you said, in Berlin, and also in Paris. So he lost work from both of those studios. Exactly, he, when he ran away from Germany. Uh, he left his, some of his work somewhere. So we don't know. We don't know anything about uh, this, this period. And wh what is uh, good from our point of view is that uh, he revives thanks to Alex Rothschild and he started painting again uh, after the war. He went to Brazil, he went to Morocco, he went to... Uh, with the help of, uh, of Alex Rothschild. And then he came back to, to painting, and at the, at the end, he was really modern in his work. And the prophet paintings, those were a commission by the Rothschilds? I'll, I'll, tell, I'll tell you, I'll tell you what, what I think happened. Uh, I believe that uh, 
he was in the process of making an exhibition in Israel. And uh, then he died in 1954. And most probably some of his works, including the prophets that belongs, uh, I believe, to the Rothschild family, were sent to the Tel Aviv Museum. And I think that's how they, the Tel Aviv Museum got them, but it was not written in the books. So only when I called them, they discovered them. And I think that they, they reached the museum in the, just before, uh, before we died, because I think his dream was uh, to have an exhibition in Israel. And that was uh, why I was so proud, you know, when I succeeded to have the first exhibition in Israel. For me, it was, it was really something. That exhibition, it included his work from Brazil and Morocco. Most of the work that we found, okay, but most of the, the work that he did were done either uh, were in, done in Paris and uh, and in Germany. Most of the work. What, what we got, most of the works that we have got, they belong to the period of Poland. Uh, the, you know the shtetl, the, the small, uh, uh, the synagogues, and uh, this is one part of his of the, the work that we've got. Uh, the, the second part is uh, is more about uh, the prophets and uh, these kind of works. Then we have got the the modern art, and. Uh, these are most of the work that we have, we have. And then we found that the work that we found in the French National Collection, after the war, we sold to the French National Collection some of his works. Uh, what is uh, fascinating with the French National Collection is that they were buying paintings of uh, artists. They succeeded to, to get in touch with them, and they told me, yes, we've got works from Kirchenbaum. He sold us some of his works after the war. So, as you can see, you know, the, you've got to work hard, but uh, there are some chances that you'll succeed in doing something. And are you still actively searching for pieces now that you believe are out there? Yes, we, we, we still uh, are trying to find out about uh, his works. It's, uh, it's not easy, but uh, we found some of his works in private collections and uh, you know the, the the importance of the website is this is a, a fantastic way to contact uh, people. So from time to time, people are contacted contacted me. They're contacting me and tell me telling me we've got something. Would you like to see it? Can you come and visit us? And uh, and also at auctions. But uh, what's going on at auctions? We we haven't sold. You know, we decided to keep the works for exhibition. And uh, only after we left this, this exhibition in Paris, we'll start thinking about either a museum that will acquire the works or, uh, or whatever we, we want to do with. But we haven't, we haven't tried yet to, to sell works because there are not, there are not, not so many. But we left to do it because an artist is not considered as an artist at the end of the day, if he doesn't sell. So it will come a day, I believe, and uh, hopefully we'll find a museum in the, the United States that will also uh, be interested in 
having some first exhibition in the States. We have some preliminary contact. I am, opt- I am you know, I'm, I'm optimistic. And I'm not getting younger, but I'm getting more and more optimistic. He, he was studying under uh, painters like Kandinsky and Klee. I was just curious if you saw those influences throughout his work uh, in his later pieces. What, what happened with uh, Paul Klee and Kandinsky, he kept in touch actually after the war, uh, and uh, until Kandinsky died, he kept in touch with him because uh, Perkle and Kandinsky, they offered him to be a teacher at the Bauhaus. And uh, at that point uh, of time, uh, the manager of the, the Bauhaus, Krukius, uh, he, he said, we, uh, we want to, to give him more, to, to have the Bauhaus more linked to the architecture and less to the art. That's how actually uh, he, he left the Bauhaus, but he, he had already the he had received from Kandinsky and from Clay a great uh, background, a great backing, and he was confident in himself for good reasons. He did a lot of works in his early years from what he'd seen, like the Horsemen of the Apocalypse, from the village where he was living, attacked. And then he he uh, was also trying to process when the village was annihilated by the Nazis, and that sh- that theme showed up in his work a lot. Yes, actually, what what I think happened is that when he left uh, Poland, he wanted to be uh, he, he wanted emancipation, okay, and that's why the the painting that you wrote on the book is modern. Presentation of Kirchenbaum is what he wanted to, and when after the the war he decided we we can we cannot integrate we've got to kill our sources. So uh, before he painted about his village, but he reduced it, and after the war he came back to it. He said that we we are, we are not allowed to forget. We must uh, keep our sources. We've got to develop. But let's keep our sources and and let's not uh, forget them. And you know, he was uh, he was asked about uh, his painting uh, if, if he was influenced by Chagall, and uh, he said, uh, I, "I love Chagall's works, uh, but both of us we have lived uh, a similar life. Uh, he was living in Russia. I was living in Poland." Uh, my, uh, my my musicians were on the roofs in Poland. His musicians were on the roof in Russia. So we we had the same background. Uh, Chagall became more a, a symbolist. I painted more my background and my life. So both of us we had the same sources, but uh, and uh, we lived a similar life. It's, I think it's very interesting. I read this in one of the newspapers. Yeah, that is very interesting. And I'd read that perhaps an interpretation of both of their works where uh, there are figures floating above the earth, it was because there was no place for Jews on the earth. Yeah, yeah that's right. And I think, uh, you know, at the exhibition in uh, Croatia, 
the painting that was uh, the, the photo of the painting that was uh, outside in the main square of uh, Zagreb was there is no place for Jews in the world really. Uh, so it represents something, and uh, this is. Uh, uh, I'll try. I'll try to send you also some of the New Year's cards that I've uh, that I've prepared. I'm still. I belong to the generation that is uh, sending cards by post. You know, it, it still exists, and uh, so I'll try to send you. Send me your uh, address, and I'll send you some of the. Uh, the card that I've uh, prepared during the years with uh, photos of his work. Thank you. That would be wonderful. Okay. So don't don't forget. Don't forget. Yes. No, I won't. I won't. Thank you. Um, one other thought that um, I wanted to ask you about was uh, Kersenbaum, I think, shared this perhaps with other artists, this um, aversion to his career choice by his family uh, that they did not initially want him to be uh, making sketches of humans and that that was against their faith. Would you speak a moment about what you know about that? What we know about this is that uh, he was... uh... He was born, I think, when uh, his parents were uh, quite uh, uh, old, uh, you know, because uh, at that point of time, you had the children at the age of, of 20, you had already six children in the family. And he was the last one. And uh, he grew up, and uh, from the beginning, he was different from the others. And uh, I think that he he loved uh, drawing and uh, painting when he was a kid. And this is something uh, that was a bit different than what uh, most of the other kids uh, were doing. Most of the other kids and what his parents tried to do it was to teach him to be uh, uh, to be a rabbi or to be involved in the, in the Jewish uh, uh, Jewish education. And he, he, as a kid already, he was, uh, he was different and looking for other things. And I think it took uh, a very long time for his parents to understand that he's, uh, that he's got special qualities. And that's why only in the 1920s, but, uh, uh, then they tried, they, uh, they helped him to leave the country. But he had a, he had very difficult period that uh, his parents and and his friends didn't understand the way he was looking at things in life. It was very different for most of the Jewish people uh, there. And that's what's so impressive is that he went a, went forward with what he knew was his destiny to be an artist uh, despite those around him that didn't necessarily understand his gift yes yes that, that, that's right you know i think that uh, you know the i think it's uh, ed lisitsky that uh, mentioned it he, he said um, uh, there was a generation of young people that wanted to to change they wanted to get involved in the in the new world, and uh, they were looking for it. And many of them, they went to Berlin and to Paris, uh, thinking that uh, 
they will be accepted and a new world is coming. And then obviously uh, the world the world uh, killed all these uh, all these all these things they they believed and were optimistic about. I had read and learned about a new painter while I was reading about Kirsenbaum. It was his friend Felix Nussbaum who he had looked for after the war. With Nussbaum, one one of the things uh, he, he was a good friend with Nussbaum. Uh, now, what happened? Nussbaum was, I think, uh, hidden in uh, in the south of France, and uh, Felix Nussbaum, I think, it's, it's the same that we are speaking about, and and he he he, he ran away to Belgium, and uh, then. Uh, Kirchenbaum uh, lost the contact because both of them were hidden in the south of France, but they had contact together. And uh, so after the war, when he was in our place in Belgium where we lived, he went to the the Royal Museum of Belgium and said, do you know anything about Nussbaum? And they said, no, we are going to check. And then they sent him a letter, and I've got a copy of this letter, where they tell him, uh, unfortunately... uh, People discovered that he was Jewish, and uh, the Germans succeeded to get to get him and his wife, and he was uh, taken to a camp and didn't survive. And then, what? After I got uh, this this information and I learned about it, you know, I, I was thinking, what, what was the life of Kirchenbaum? He lost all all his works, but he stayed alive. And Felix Nussbaum lost his life, but all his works were kept. Different, different uh, ways of surviving. I was looking through all of the painting images that I have. That one, Refugees, about the SS St. Louis, the boat of refugees, that painting uh, seems to me very different from the other paintings that Kirsenbaum did and certainly is about the Holocaust. Do you think that's, uh, do you know what motivated him to do that painting? I know that the, the crisis of the refugees refused from Cuba is the, the, the subject, but do you know what drew him to focus on that particular subject? I'll, t- I'll tell you what uh, I think. Um, uh, I believe that this was really the, the beginning of the end of the Jewish people, in a certain way, because nobody was ready to to help them, and they believed they will get some help when they left uh, on the boat to Cuba, and they went to Cuba. They were refused them. They went to America, they were refused though. They came back to Europe and they went to the to the camps. And most of them died. So I think this is the story. Telling nobody was ready to help us. We were alone and there was no chance. And I think this is what Kirchenbaum was trying to convey. And that's why I think that this painting is important. It is in the Tel Aviv Museum, and it was shown several times uh, because of what uh, what is behind it. 
I don't have in front of me the size of it. Is the it, size is one, one meter 32 times one meter 30. It's a yeah. big painting. Big painting. Yes. Going back to the Rothschilds for a moment, the profit paintings, that particular commission and why those profits, I was curious if they might also have been symbolic of the Holocaust. One of the things that is interesting about the prophets is that in a certain way, they, they announce the troubles. But there is always optimism and at, at the end of it. At the end of it, you will come back to Israel, you will come back to Jerusalem. And this is what you have got here. You have got the prophets telling about the terrible things that will happen. And then you have the last one, Elijah, that in a, I'm telling you about the prophet, it's, it's not written, but this is a part of what you've got in the, in the books, in the, in, the, in the Bible, that Elijah is optimistic about at the end of it. And this is what you've got here, also in a certain way. Pessimism, but at the end of it, some light. And this is one of the great things I think we find in, in the Kirchenbaum. Uh, in, ma in many of the paintings, we see the, we ma I mentioned it, you know, the, the sun. It, it is, that doesn't disappear. There is always some light. And he's certainly, as you said, uh, I think his work and his life show the hope and renewal that can come out of what seems like destruction. Do you agree? That, yes, yeah. that, that's right. That, that's, uh, that's right. You know, I'm a, a member of the Committee of the Just at Yad Vashem. Yad Vashem is an organization that is, uh, that is uh, keeping tracks of what happened to the Jewish people during the Holocaust. And they, they, it's an organization in Jerusalem. And what we, we are trying to do, among, among the other things, is not, not to forget what happened to the six million that uh, have been killed. Uh, so it won't happen again, not only to the Jewish people, to both, but to any minority in the world. And uh, I, I am a member uh, in uh, in the commission in the commission there, and I think it's uh, it's very very important, you know, not to forget and to learn from history and to try to learn from the negative, the positive. And this is uh, what I'm trying to do in a certain way, you know, by being a member of the commission of the justice. The, at Yad Vashem, and by doing something which I believe is, is positive, and according to the reaction I had from so many people, I think these are the right things to do. Well, thank you so much, Nathan, for what you're doing to bring the legacy of J.D. Kersenbaum to life for others to enjoy and appreciate today. Thank you, thank you very much, and go on doing, doing beautiful things. There will be a link in the show notes to learn more about J.D. Kersenbaum and to view his work. 
If you enjoyed this podcast, it would be much appreciated if you could leave a rating or review and tag Warfare of Art and Law podcast. You can also email your comments to stephanie at warfareofartandlaw.com. Until next time, this is Stephanie Drotty bringing you Warfare of Art and Law. Thank you so much for listening. And remember, injustice anywhere is a threat to justice everywhere. What are your plans for the second Saturday of this month? Perhaps consider joining in for a discussion about art, culture, and social issues. Hi, everyone. It's Stephanie. And every second Saturday at 1 p.m. Eastern Time, I host the Second Saturday Art and Justice Gathering, an online call that explores a range of topics from artists who might inspire to legal decisions that might infuriate, all with the aim of sparking dialogue about social justice and promoting creative thinking. If interested, please email me at stephanie at warfareofartandlaw.com.